Worldview Discussions, Lesson 19. Happy New Year, everybody. I have heard that social distancing has been particularly stressful for the Flat Earth Society. They fear such measures are just going to push someone over the edge. <laughs> yeah. Um, over the, uh, the holiday, one of the traditions that we have in our home is we watch a trilogy of movies and uh, on New Year's Eve, and we munch on yummy food all afternoon and evening. So we did the Narnia trilogy a few years ago, and then How to Train Your Dragon, which was super fun. Then we did Star Wars episodes four, five, six, which is the right way to introduce someone into the whole series. We try to not even think about episodes one, two, three. And then uh, this last New Year's Eve, we did uh, the uh, Ninth Museum trilogy. We watched that trilogy. It was actually a lot of fun to uh, watch those movies with, with the fam. Well, we also have had a trilogy in a way where we've looked at origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. So let me give you a quick summary of where we've been in the first 18 lessons. We've highlighted this idea that everybody has a set of beliefs. Everybody has, in essence, a worldview in which they look at the world and it creates an identity for them about what they should do and how they should live their life and who they are and what happens to them when they die. And this really sounds like a religion. And we highlighted that a worldview or religion is comprised of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And so we've looked at God's existence providing a rationale for the origins of the universe. And we looked at the biblical account in Genesis and the different ways that people interpret that passage. <clears throat> then we looked at meaning and meaning for our lives, which seems like the meaning of our lives can be found in exclusive claims. And we, we processed how to deal with exclusive claims. People have a hard time with exclusive claims, but we thought about the fact that maybe everybody is exclusive in the claims they make about religion and truth. And if you remember, then we dove into thinking about the image of God and how the biblical account seems to speak of a, a, a meaning, a purpose for our lives that relates to being made in God's image. And then we transitioned to morality and thought about how our passion for morality may well best be explained by the existence of God. If there is a God that exists, then it makes sense why we have these deep-seated convictions about what is right and what is wrong. And we then dove into the Old Testament and looked at how important it is to learn how to interpret the Bible and how to be careful with it because Old Testament law, flood narrative, conquest narrative, these are tricky. And I, I want to just say what we seem to think the text is saying might well be the ideas that we're bringing into the text that the author never intended. So to summarize, and as we, we move into our final topic, worldview topic of destiny, 
we could think of it like this. Our destiny, if God does not exist, here's some ideas. In terms of origin, how does origin and destiny relate? If if we are the accidents of, of nature, then is there any real hope after death? It wouldn't seem like that would be the case. In terms of meaning, how can our lives have any ultimate meaning if all the events of human history come to nothingness? It's real cheery, isn't it? Morality. If our destiny is ultimately unrelated to our behavior, then does it really matter how we live, like Joseph Stalin or Mother Teresa? And so the point being made here is our views on origin, meaning, and morality are impact and are framed and understood by um, our understanding of what happens when we die. If we got here by accident, origin, and we end in nothing, that seems to frame and define what uh, the point of our existence is. William Lane Craig dramatically says, because humans end in nothing, they are nothing. And it seems to me that we all don't, don't believe that, do we? And neither do the people that uh, we are talking to. They think that their lives have value and the people around them have value. And so we've been arguing that it makes sense to believe that there is a God. And so we're going to take some time to think about that final category of destiny. And if there is a God that exists, would it make sense that he would agree with us that there's something wrong with the world? And would it make sense that this God would want to intervene some way and do something rather than just let it go on into eternity? And I want to say that that, that does seem to make sense. So what, what is it? that has led to the problems in the world. I want to take a, a moment to have you just think about a question. So imagine I gave you a diagram that in the middle it said, I am a, and then there were seven shapes that um, go out from that middle and you could fill in, in those shapes, different descriptions about yourself. So you would say something like, I am a teacher. I am a husband. I am a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a father, whatever. So imagine you were to do that. And I gave you seven or 10 slots in which you could encircle this phrase, I am. And, um, and then I asked you after you did that, what do you think really is at the center of all of those descriptions. What is the core self-identifying characteristic of who you are that impacts everything else? Maybe I can dramatically pause and have you think about that. I feel like it's a really good question. Um, I want to think about that idea of our core identity. And in chapter 10 in Keller's book, he actually offers the the um, the idea of the world being broken being related to our view of who we are it's really interesting so could our understanding of our identity relate to the brokenness in the world i actually had my seniors read an article that is about ichiro suzuki and the article is called When Winter Never Ends. 
to an article from ESPN. And it's about how Ichiro is, uh, who is a famous baseball player, is struggling to process his transition from retiring from baseball. And it's very evident as you read the article that Ichiro's identity is completely wrapped up in baseball. Uh, one, one, one part of the, the article speaks of how his wife would hear him at night crying when he was going through a batting slump. Another part of the article speaks of him being unable to go to bed and he would just very religiously swing the bat in the bedroom for hours from like 1 to 4 a.m. He would just swing, swing, swing. He literally walks around with a humidor for his bats. And he, isn't this interesting? He attended Cooperstown, which is the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame, more than any uh, active professional baseball player uh, alive today. So he, he visited Cooperstown more than any other baseball has who's alive today. They've just made note of how many times he's entered there. It's almost, guys, like it's his heaven. His, his heaven. So what, what Keller does in chapter 10, he, the, the chapter is called The Problem of Sin, and he offers this suggestion that it's possible that our, our view of who we are actually is what's creating the problems in this world. And so he begins in the first section by suggesting that the Christian doctrine of sin is good news. So how does sin relate to this topic of identity that we're thinking about and, and how the world could be messed up and, and so forth? And so Keller suggests in the first section there that the doctrine of sin is actually good news. People hear that and think sin doesn't typically sound like good news. People don't like to hear that they're sinners. But Keller offers this thought that it would mean that we're not just helpless victims of what's going on in our brain and what's going on around us. There's actually something that we can do about it. There's something that we can do about it. And so what would that something be? And here's where I found uh, his, his definition of sin to be really thought-provoking. And actually, I want to read it to you guys. So in chapter 10, this is how Keller defines sin. Sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Sin is seeking to become oneself, to get an identity apart from him. What does this mean? Keller continues. Everyone gets their identity, their sense of being distinct and valuable from somewhere or something. Kierkegaard asserts that human beings were made not only to believe in God in some general way, but to love him supremely, center their lives on him above anything else, and to build their very identities on him. Anything other than this is sin. Most people think of sin primarily as breaking divine rules, but Kierkegaard knows that the first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before me. 
So according to the Bible, the primary way to define sin is not just doing bad things, but the making of good things into ultimate things. Listen to this, guys. Keller finishes here. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship to God. When I heard that, I started thinking about my life. I started thinking about the times in my life where I could see what what did I put in the middle of that diagram that I described to you, I am, and all those characteristics. What did I put at the center? And at times I can very much see that there's something or someone at the center that does not belong there. Because at the center, what belongs there is I am a child of God. I am an image bearer of God. That's what belongs in the center. If there is a God that really made us, then doesn't it make sense then that our identity is centered on being in a relationship with him and that our response to him could actually have implications for our present life now and for our future, for our destiny. And one other idea I have in mind is, wouldn't it make sense that God has the authority to define our identity since he created us? I said that very carefully to the seniors the other day, knowing that that would be a really intense thing to say. It's intense for us to think about too. To say that there's someone else that defines who we are, rather than us getting to define who we are, That really seems like the core issue here, doesn't it? We want to be able to define who we are. Isn't that the core of what sin is? And so I'm reminded of Genesis 1, 26, when God says, let us make man in our image. And it says, let them have dominion over the fish and the birds and the livestock over the earth. God speaks of this same kind of language in Exodus 20 when he gives the Ten Commandments to Israel. And he says, guys, don't make yourselves a carved image of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or the water under the earth. And then what happens? Paul evaluates humanity in Romans 1, and he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And what do they do? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so when we put uh, something in the center that isn't God, we're going against what we've been made for. Uh, What is our identity? Essentially, we're God's idols. We're made to image him to the world. But it seems like the biblical narrative is saying that we took God's place, and actually made our own idols. So we have God making idols in Genesis 1. It's us. And what, what do we now do? It seems like the biblical account is saying, we say, no, God, we're going we're gonna to act just like you, but in the wrong way. We're going to not act like you to represent you. We're going to act like you by making our own idols. And we're going to put other things at the center And it's going to be creation, as Paul says, rather than the creator. And it seems to me this is just another way to talk about eating from that tree. 
in Genesis. And so what are the consequences of this? Keller notes three of them. Let me share with you, share those three with you guys real quick, and we'll wrap up. The personal consequences of sin. Keller notes that when we put something else in the center rather than God, it leads to insecurity and addiction. That that thing that we put at the center is going to fail us at some point. That person, that thing, it's going to be taken from us, uh, or we're going to fail ourselves if at the center it's our career and we do poorly in in our career, whatever it is. But the consequences of sin, we see that. Insecurity, it's going to fail us. Keller notes also there's social consequences. When we put something at the center rather than God, it leads to us feeling superior and excluding others. If if I put my uh, ethnicity in the center, I'm going to exclude people of different ethnicities. If I put my moral agendas or <laughs> my my political agendas at the center of my identity, then, of course, those that disagree with me, I'm going to feel superior to them. And the list goes goes on and on. So if, if, if a, a person is at the center of, of my identity, then it's going to lead me to uh, ignore and exclude other people. So my goodness, can we think of social consequences of sin happening these days? Boy, it's not too hard, is it, to... To, to get examples of this. And then there's the cosmic consequences of sin. The biblical narrative makes this very clear. And what's interesting is how tied humanity is to creation. And Keller argues that humanity is so integral to creation that when we rebelled against God, creation itself was affected. And Paul picks up this language in Romans 8. 18 through 23, when it speaks of creation waiting for humanity to be redeemed, uh, to uh, experience the redemption of our bodies, because when humanity is freed and made new, creation will be as well. And so the solution, what is the solution to this? I had the coolest conversation with a student the other day as he's processing his his beliefs. He's concerned about his destiny. And he asked me, Mr. Jones, what if I can't make this decision quite right before I die? Will God give me grace? And my encouragement to him was to look to Jesus. What did he think about Jesus? Because I don't think this is that complicated. If, if we really believe that there's a God who has recognized this world is messed up and wants to fix it without having to get rid of us in the process, then would it make sense that he has sent his son uh, to, to fix the brokenness inside us and in this world by dying on the cross. And so my challenge, encouragement to him is the same for all of us. And this is Keller's point at the end of the, of the chapter. He says, what can put everything right? 
It's if we reorient ourselves around the person of Jesus Christ, the, the God incarnate. If we give our lives to our creator and center our lives around our creator and our, our identity, then it seems that um, the, the solution to not just our problem, but the world's problems is, is found. In Romans 8, Paul actually speaks of his recipients as being sons of God. As being sons of God. And this is what we are, right? We are the children of God. And when we center our identity around God, not another person, not our career, not our money, not our politics, nothing but God in the center, then everything else is shaped and defined uh, around our passion and our love for God, seeking his glory. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you guys as we continue through the school year.